If you have your copy of God's Word, I hope and pray that you do. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, there's the Bible there in the pew rack in front of you. You're welcome to use that. I'd encourage you to. You can find uh, today's passage on page 1012, 1012. I so appreciate the singing of God's Word. And as we were singing, I was reminded in Psalm 94 and verse 14, the, the psalmist writes, For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. It's so good to know that, that we are the Lord's and he is ours and we belong to him and that nothing can snatch us away from out of his hand, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he is faithful even when we are faithless. Amen? Such great truth. So as we begin the new year, here, here's what I wanted to do today. I, I wanted to take a passage of Scripture. Now, in its context, Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 12. Uh, Paul is in prison, and he's writing a letter to the Christians in the city of Colossae. And what he does in these verses we're going to look at today is he shares with them how he's praying for this church. And what I want us to do is to dive into this prayer, but I want to use this prayer as an opportunity for us to just look at uh, five spiritual resolutions for the new year. I'm not going to ask to see a show of hands, but I would imagine many of us in the room have, have, have issued some New Year's resolutions, right? Some, some things that we want to do differently this year, some goals that we want to accomplish now, I, I did a real simple, very simple kind of Google search of New Year's resolutions, and here are some of the most popular ones, or the, kind of the subject matter that, most, that, that are most popular. First of all, there's health, health and fitness, right? Maybe, maybe you're here today and you set a goal of, hey, this year I want, I want, to, I want to join a gym and I want, I want to work out regularly or I want to exercise in some fashion regularly or maybe you're, you've got a goal, you're going to try to lose some weight this year and, and you've set that target, whatever it may be. Uh, another popular resolution centers around finances. And maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, we, we need to save more, we need to invest more, I need to give more to my retirement, uh, we need to eliminate some unnecessary expenses or those kind of frivolous things that really aren't important. Maybe, maybe that's you. Uh, another b big area for resolutions revolves around marriage and family. Maybe you've set some goals to, to be a better husband or a better wife, to be more present in your children's lives, to, to be more active and involved in their activities and whatever it may be. Maybe, it's, maybe some of your resolutions are related to your vocation. Hey, I, I want to further my education or I want to gain this certification or I want to do these things professionally. Uh, Great, great goals. Uh, maybe those of you that are students, maybe it's related to academics. Maybe you've set a goal, hey, this year I, I want to be more focused on my academics. I want to work harder. I want to uh, uh, get better grades and do the things that are necessary for that. Uh, maybe some of you, it's, it's something just, hey, I want to quit some bad habits. I want to eliminate some bad habits that are in my life, and, and I'll let you define whatever that may be, right? 
And so New Year's resolutions are popular. You know, we, we talk about them and we, we, we write them down or whatever it may be and we enter into them. Well, I want us to look at these few verses this morning and just look at it from the standpoint of, hey, this is a good place for us to start when we're talking about spiritual resolutions. As we begin a new year, as we turn the calendar, what, what do we want to see God do in our life? spiritually, where do we want to be a year from now, right? Uh, and so let's kind of dive into this. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, let's read this text uh, together. Paul, again, he's in prison. He's writing to the believers here in the city of Colossae, and here's what he says. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege, for the opportunity that we, we have today to gather here as the body of Christ with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to sing your praises, to offer uh, to you our praise and our adoration, to fellowship and encourage one another and to study your word together. Lord God, I thank you and I praise you that your word is living and powerful, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it is able to pierce to the vision of our soul and our, our spirit, our joints and our marrow. And Lord, I ask and pray that it would do exactly that this morning, that through your word you would grab hold of every heart and every mind and you would draw us close to Jesus. And Lord Jesus, be glorified, be magnified, be exalted in this place. And it's in your name we pray, amen. So... Uh, th again, this is a prayer, and let me just say uh, as we dive into this, moms and dads, grandparents, this is a great prayer for you to pray over your children and your grandchildren. It's a great prayer for you to pray over your husband and your wife daily. Just cry, cry this prayer out on their behalf and just intercede for them in this way. But, but again, let, let's kind of just twist it a little bit and look at it from a spiritual resolution standpoint. Here's resolution number one. Look with me if you're following along in your notes. To know and follow God's will. Spiritual resolution number one for this new year. To know and follow God's will. Look, look what we read there. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The Greek word that we translate will uh, literally means desire or purpose. So here we are this morning, men and women who I would imagine by and large part uh, profess to know Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We've surrendered in faith to him. It, it, it should go without saying, but, it's, but nonetheless it's important. We, we should desire, we should want to know God's desire. We should want to know God's purpose for our lives, right? That should, we shouldn't even have to talk about that, but that ought to be obvious to us. We ought to want to know God's will for our lives. Now, as we talk about God's will, let me, I want to make a few comments about it, and I want to begin with this. 
God's will, God's purpose for our lives stands in sharp contrast to our natural desires, okay, and to the normal ways of this world. Th- those two things are in conflict, okay? The, the, the natural inclinations of our heart and mind are not for God's, des- do not match God's desire and God's purpose for our life. And, and let me just show you that from Scripture, all right? So look with me here. The, the passage will be in front of you. If you want to write, uh, you'll see these passages written down there in your notes. You're welcome to turn to them, obviously. Let's begin in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 1. So Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, he wants to, he, he, he's going to emphasize to us who we are in Christ and this, this, this regeneration, this transformation that's happened through faith in Christ. And here's what he says to us. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Now here's something very interesting. Paul writes that we too previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. That word that we translate inclinations is the very same Greek word that we saw translated as will. And here's what we understand, that the natural desire of our hearts, the natural desire of our mind, the natural desire of our flesh is contrary to the ways of the Lord, to the ways of God, to the purposes and the will of God in our life. That's why we need a Savior. Because the the natural inclinations, the natural inclination and and desire and purpose of of every human being is to run opposite of the ways of God. The Bible calls that sin. And it's why we all need a Savior. Now look with me next at Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15. Again, Paul writes, Pay careful attention. Now he could have written just pay attention but, but as a matter of emphasis, he says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. First, he says, pay careful attention to how you walk. The word walk, and we're going to see that again in just a moment, refers to our lifestyle. The, the, the normal course of our everyday life. He says, pay attention to it. Pay careful attention to it. And then he goes on to say, making the most of the time. And he says, don't be foolish. The word foolish there means unwise. And it refers to that which is opposite of God's will and God's ways. And so Paul says, listen, be very careful that your life doesn't stand in contrast to the ways of God. Be careful. Pay attention to it. Run parallel to Christ, not opposite of Christ. And then in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, a passage you're familiar with. Let's look at that together. Here's what we read. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now watch what he says next. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now notice what he says there. Do not be conformed to this age. Do not be conformed to the ways of this world. Do not be conformed to the views of this world and the philosophies and the ideologies and the priorities of this world. Don't allow this world, which is separated from a holy and righteous God, don't allow it to conform your thinking and your priorities and your values and your morals and such. He says, instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Watch this. So that you may discern, so that you may know and understand, now watch this, what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Church, I want us all to be reminded this morning that God's will is good, that it is pleasing, and that it is perfect. And you and I cannot, cannot find a better place to be than in the center of God's will. That is the best place for any of us to be at any time, because it is good, it is pleasing, and it is absolutely perfect. And we are told here that you and I can discern, we can know, and we can understand what God wants for our life. Now, the Bible does tell us uh, that there are certain things we know to be God's will for our life, okay? All right, there, there are some very uh, specifics that we know and understand. Let's look first in, Philipp, uh, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 3. Here's what we read. For this is God's will. So here we go. Here's a very specific text that tells us what God's will for our life is. He says, for this is God's will. Watch this. Your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. Now, in the specific context of this passage, here's what we know and understand. It is God's will for your life and my life that we practice biblical sexual morality. And we're not going to dive into that, but let me just summarize it this way. God's word is very clear that sexual intimacy is reserved for one man and one woman in the confines of marriage, and anything outside of that is outside of God's will for our lives. Okay, that, that's a simple snapshot. But I want us to look at this a little bit deeper, not just in that specific context, but what do we see? This is God's will, your, your sanctification. That is a word that refers to spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. And we're going to see this more in just a moment, but just suffice to say for now, it is God's desire. It is God's will for every one of our lives that we grow to be more like Christ. And notice what he goes on to say next, that we control our own body in holiness and honor. In other words, that our lives as a child of God, as a follower of Christ, are set apart. They are distinctly different. In other words, they are in agreement with God's ways and God's word. Here's the reality. As men and women who profess to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our lives should look different. They should sound different. They should behave differently. They should think differently than the unbelieving world. 
And those around us, those in our sphere of influence that are closest to us, our, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, whatever it may be, they ought to be able to look and see something different. They may not know what it is, but it ought to be obvious to them. There's something different about this person. They don't use the same language that the rest of us use. They don't, they don't laugh at the same crude jokes the rest of us do. They, they talk about things the rest of us don't talk about. They're different. What, why are they different? Because we're living in holiness and honor. Let's keep going. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 16. Here's another specific passage that tells us what God's will is. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. And there's a semicolon there. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So it is God's will for us in Christ Jesus that we rejoice always, that we worship always, that we pray constantly, we pray without ceasing, that, that our mind, that we, are, that, that, that we are thinking on the things of God and we're in conversation with the Lord. And then finally, that we give thanks and everything. This is God's will for us. So let's keep going. 1 Peter 2 and verse 15. For it is God's will, again, here's a specific mention, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. The phrase there, doing good, refers to that which is morally upright, that which is righteous, that which is in agreement with the ways of God. And so, for Christian, here it is. For us, it is God's will that we live a morally upright, a righteous life, one that's in agreement with the ways of God so that we might silence the ignorance of foolish or unbelieving people. So, resolution number one, to know and follow God's will. Number two, look with me at verse 10, to walk worthy of the Lord. He says, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit, in every good work. Again, that word walk refers to our lifestyle, the normal course of our life. The normal course of our life should be one that is worthy of the Lord. Look with me at Philippians 1 verse 27. I, I love this verse of scripture. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, says, just one thing, think about that, the, the greatest theologian that humanity has known the greatest pastor and missionary and evangelist the world has ever known says just one thing. As citizens of heaven, as men and women who belong to the Lord, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word worthy there refers, it means properly, in a manner fitting of the Lord. It refers to a life that honors the Lord, a life that brings glory to the Lord. Our life should bring glory and honor to Christ. And he goes on to say, watch this, fully pleasing to him. Do you find it interesting that he doesn't say substantially pleasing to him or for the most part pleasing to him? He says what? Fully pleasing to him. All of our life should please the Lord. Our vocational life, our marriage life, our family life, our hobbies, all of it should be pleasing to the Lord. And then notice what he goes on to say further, bearing fruit 
in every good work. In John 15 and verse 8, Jesus makes this statement. Read this with me. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit, watch this, and prove to be my disciples. Now, in the context of John 15, verses 1 through 8, it's the passage where Jesus is talking about abiding in Christ, of remaining in Christ, staying close to Christ. It's a passage that emphasizes a, a very personal, a very intimate relationship with Christ. And as he walks us through that, he says this, that, 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 that God the Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. In other words, as a follower of Christ, listen, our life, we, there should be spiritual fruit produced as a result of our intimate relationship with Christ. Now, understand this. Jesus is the vine, we are the branch. The fruit is produced as a result of what's in the vine, not as a result of the branch. You and I don't produce the fruit. But as we are close to Christ, as we stay intimate with Christ, as our relationship with Christ grows, guess what happens? He produces fruit in us and through us for his glory. And that's what we should want. We should want God to work in us in such a marvelous and fascinating way that spiritual fruit is produced for God's glory. What does that fruit look like? Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those things, uh, among others. And so as we are close to Christ, as we walk with him, he produces fruit in us that bring him glory and honor. And so resolution number two, to walk worthy of the Lord. Number three, let's keep going, to grow in the knowledge of God. Look at verse 10. He says, and growing in the knowledge of God. Now, I've already alluded to this, but the reference to this is spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. Church, we should be growing in Christ. We should be growing more like Christ. You and I should be able to look back over the past year, and we should be able to see tangible spiritual growth in our lives. And if not, I want to really challenge you. I want to really admonish you that over this next year, don't let that be true this time next year. Work to grow in Christ. Work to become more like Christ. Look with me at 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. Look at this passage with me. Peter writes, but grow. These are the last words that Peter leaves us with. But grow... In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Now, here's what's significant about that passage of Scripture. The word grow there is written in the emphatic, in the original language. In other words, it is a command. Peter is not suggesting. Peter is not advising. Peter is saying, you grow. I'm commanding you to grow in Christ. Church, let's set a resolution that over the next 12 months of this calendar year, you and I are going to grow in Christ. We're going to become more like Christ. And well, how do you do that? It's, it's not going to just happen by osmosis. It's just not going to happen uh, willy-nilly. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity is the result of deliberate disciplines in our daily life, just like anything else. 
Maybe you set a, a resolution this year, I, I'm, I'm going to lose 25 pounds. Well, what are you going to do to lose 25 pounds? You, you've got, there's got to be a deliberate discipline, right? Just to say it, to write it down, you're not going to lose weight just by saying it or writing down, right? If you set a goal, I'm going to run a, a, a marathon this year. Well, you're not going to wake up one morning and run 26 miles, I can promise you that. You've got to train and discipline yourself to get there. So, spiritual growth in the same way is the result of deliberate disciplines in our life. So let's talk about those for just a moment. It begins with Bible study. If any of us, myself included, if any of us are going to grow in Christ, then we have got to spend time in God's Word. We've got to spend time in God's Word. We've got to open the Word of God, and we've got to read it, and we've got to study it. And listen, there are hundreds of Bible reading plans out there. You can join us. Many of us are going through the Bible recap. You can, you can find any number of Bible reading plans online. You want to read through the New Testament a few times, they're there. You want to read through the entire Bible, it's there. Whatever you want to do, I, I want to encourage you, just find a plan and do it and spend time in God's Word. Number two, Scripture memorization. We need to hide God's Word in our heart. We, we need to know it from memory, not just to say that we know it, but that it's there, that we can grab hold of it and pull on it when we need it. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to be devoted to prayer. That's one of the reasons why we're engaged, having these a house of prayers throughout the year that as a church family, we're going to devote more time to prayer. It's vitally important in our spiritual growth. How about accountability? Who, who, who in your life uh, are, are you open and transparent with and that, that, that's helping you along this journey with Christ? who's asking the difficult questions or who's coming along and putting their arm around you and, and encouraging you and patting you on the back. You need that. You need to be involved in a small group where you can fellowship and study God's Word together and encourage each other. You need to serve. I look out here and I see several hundred people and every one of you are unique and different and God has gifted every, gifted every one of you in, in different ways and you have talents and gifts and strengths and, and so forth that I don't know anything about. How are you using those gifts and talents in service to Christ and His church? Find a way to serve. Worship. Get engaged. Get involved in, this, in the praise and the in the adoration of our Lord. Fasting, fasting is, a, is an incredible spiritual discipline. Maybe the Lord has impressed upon your heart that there's some things you need to give up this year by way of a fast. You need to fast from whatever it may be, social media. Maybe you need to fast for a period of time from, from, from caffeine. Maybe you need to fast, whatever it may be. I don't know. Maybe the Lord's calling you to, to, to practice that discipline. Nonetheless, I want to encourage you to, to incorporate these disciplines in your life so that you might grow in the knowledge of God. Number four, look with me at verse 11. To persevere through life's challenges. Look what Paul writes here. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. 
The word endurance refers to a steadfastness, to, to literally a patient enduring. I, I think all of us know and understand this, this truth. Life is a cycle of, of ups and downs, isn't it? Life is a cycle of highs and lows, of, of mountaintops and valleys. Some of the downs we experience occur in the normal course of life. In other words, you, you, you and I, well, there's nothing we are doing to bring those, those things into our life. They, they, they just happen. You go into the grocery store to buy groceries and you come out and your tire's flat. It's got a big nail in it. That's a low, right? You didn't do anything to cause that. Or you go to the doctor and the doctor shares with you a diagnosis that you weren't expecting, that you weren't anticipating. You didn't do anything to cause that. Some of the lows in our life, Let's just be honest, some of the challenges we face are, are the result of, of, of poor decisions we make. We invite the valleys into our life because we're not striving after the things of the Lord. And then finally, some of the challenges we face are the result of, of persecution. It's the result of, of opposition, this world's opposition to Christ and His Word and His church and and as his children, we, we are going to face those challenges. And I want to encourage you this morning with some passages of Scripture. I want to encourage you that, that regardless of the specifics of the downs and the valleys and the challenges we face, that, that God gives us, okay, his children, he gives us the grace and he gives us the strength to persevere, to keep going, to hold the line and not to give up. All right? Let's look at some of these verses of Scripture. John 16 and verse 33. I love the honesty and the transparency of Christ throughout all of the Gospels, but especially in this verse. Look what we read here in John 16 and verse 33. He says, I have told you these sayings so that in me you may have peace. Now watch this. You will have suffering in this world be courageous. I have conquered the world. And I would imagine if we took the time, we could go around the, all of this room and we could share stories of challenges and difficulties and heartbreak and tragedies that we've all faced in life. And Jesus is honest with us. He told us from the beginning, listen, you're, you're going to have some challenges. You're going to have suffering in this life. But be courageous. I've conquered those things, and in me you will too. Look, at, look, look with me next at Romans 5, beginning in verse 3. This is a difficult text, but notice what Paul writes here. There are very few people that had the authority to write on this more than Paul. He says, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance, Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So as God's children, when you and I face challenges, when you and I face the valleys of life, we, we have one of, one of two options. We, we can understand it as a part of what God's doing to mold us and shape us and fashion us into the man or the woman that he wants us to be, and we can embrace that and walk by faith and trust him in that. And notice what we read here. 
Paul says, when we do so, the hope of Christ will not disappoint us. And so, church, I want to encourage you to persevere through life's challenges. Next, look with me at 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. This is a good reminder. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, or some of our translations say a spirit of timidity, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. In Christ, you and I have no reason to fear, none whatsoever. Whatever it may be, we don't have any reason to fear. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1, God's Word says this, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. By God's grace, we can persevere. By God's grace, we can walk through the valley. And then finally, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12, Paul writing to Timothy, his protege in the faith, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. Don't quit. Don't give up. Stand firm. Hold the line, Timothy. So resolution number four, to persevere through life's challenges. And then finally, number five, look with me at verse 12, to live a life of gratitude. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Let's look at a few verses of Scripture where we're reminded of this very same thing. Ephesians 5.20. Look what we read here. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look closely at the language. Giving thanks always for everything. We are always to be thankful, and we are to be thankful in everything. That's challenging, isn't it? That's difficult sometimes, isn't it? Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are to give thanks. And then finally, again, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. We looked at it earlier. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Church, you and I, as men and women who have been redeemed from our empty way of life, we've been rescued from the domain of darkness, we should be a grateful people. We should live lives of gratitude. We should focus on what God has given us, not what we don't have. We should focus on what God is doing in us, not what he may not be doing. We should be grateful men and women. Amen? We should be, live lives of gratitude uh, for who we are in Christ and what he is doing. So, five spiritual resolutions for the new year. Number one, to know and follow God's will, to walk worthy of the Lord, to grow in the knowledge of God, to persevere through life's challenges, and to live a life of gratitude. Now, I want to just speak real quickly to, to one more specific um, aspect of God's will. Maybe you're here today, and you've never surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ. 
You've never placed your faith and trust in God's one and only Son who died on a cross to pay the penalty of your sin, who rose from the dead victoriously to guarantee you eternal life, who's coming again. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4 that God desires everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It is God's desire. It is God's will that you be saved. Would you today say yes to Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you that you love us, and I want to thank you that you love us unconditionally. I want to thank you that your love for us is sacrificial and unselfish. I want to thank you that your love drove you to the cross where you gave up your life that we might know life and have life. Father God, I want to thank you for this text we read here in Colossians chapter 1. And Lord, as we begin a new year, I just do humbly ask and pray that, Lord, you would work in each of us and that, Lord God, you would draw each of us closer to Jesus Christ that you would continue to mold us and shape us and fashion us into the men and women you've created us to be, the men and women you have gifted us to be, the men and women that you've redeemed us to be as your children, as your ambassadors to the nations. And Father God, if there's any individual in the room today or anyone watching online who's never said yes to Jesus, I pray that today they would place their faith in your Son the one who died for them, the one who rose from the dead to give them eternal life. Lord God, draw, draw them to Jesus today. Bring them, Lord, to the saving knowledge of Christ today. And it's in his name, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. I want